You're listening to the Saturday Morning RPG Show with Jordan, the PH is silent, and Sir Lucian. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan, with a silent PH in the middle, and I'm joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, over there. at Sir Lucian Gaming. Good morning. Mm-hmm. How are you? Good morning. It's a wonderful summer day. I can't wait. I'm excited for the weekend. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Uh, (laughs) Let us know if uh, Lucian's audio is not good or if my audio is not good because I'm I'm still tweaking settings. It's an ever awful process. Always tweaking, (laughs) yes. Um, Yeah, good morning, everybody. We got got Zris from the UK. We've got uh, Jancy from SoCal and Moa from uh, North Carolina, I assume. That's what NC is. I could be wrong. Um... Fantastic. Uh, yeah, we have been off for a little bit, but we're back today, and we're going to just talk about uh, some of the news that's going on in the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, but I guess, or the world of tabletop role-playing games, I should say. But um, yeah. what have you what have you been doing on, on our on our couple weeks off or whatever that you've been working on? <laughs> What's going on with yeah, in the life so, of Lucian? Yeah, lots of, um, lots of travel uh, on the weekends, and we're doing either events where we're... We do medieval reenactment group. Um, the SCA is something that uh, some people might know about if you're a geek. Um, in fact, we had gotten off our last show and you were talking about your neighbor does it. We were like, I was like, what? Yeah, <laughs> I saw them on uh, on Facebook because we're Facebook friends. And I was like, yeah, I think they do this like medieval thing. And then I t- brought it up to Lucian and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know them. And, or not that's them specifically, <laughs> but you know the organization. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh, that's yeah. cool. And so that's what, so it's a lot of uh, summer stuff where we go to events in different areas. So I get to travel around with all my friends and we go and we put armor on and fight or my wife likes to camp. So we're doing camping stuff or, and the other thing is the camper, you know, kind of situation that we're still working on to see how that's going to turn out. And, and then the pool is open, the summer pool at Casa de Lucian's house (laughs) (laughs) is open. The water hit above like and Memorial Day weekend, it was only 68, so I went in, but nobody else would go in. That's too cold for everybody else, but we're in, like, the high 70s now of water, so now everybody's willing to go in and get in the pool, so that's great. So Do you have here. a heater for it, or is it just waiting no. for... Oh, okay, you're just waiting, just waiting for, waiting for that ambient temperature to, to pick it up? Yeah, yeah. Um, so. That's cool. That's really awesome, yeah. Um, hmm. I know how much you like your pool, so it's kind of fun to have that project. Love it. Yeah, I... Yeah, Memorial Day was, uh, I think that was the weekend my nephew got, uh, or graduated. So I had to go to his graduation yeah. and take a bunch of photos. Uh, and and those are never fun. Even my own graduation. I'm like, I don't want to yeah. do this. Like, yeah, it really is a, to go. It's a weird situation where I'm like, but then I remember somebody telling me that they, they officially graduated um at the semester of high school because of some weird credit things so they couldn't walk and do their graduation and i was like oh that's so sad and they were like no like i i don't i mean i'll i'll put on the garb and i'll take a photo with my diploma but like i don't want to sit through a three-hour name reading and i'm like oh yeah they are awful yeah and so yeah but congratulations to my nephew for graduating i'm very excited (laughs) he's going off to college and doing cool stuff um, but speaking of the world of tabletop role-playing games, uh, yes. we'll get right into this. Pathfinder. Actually, we have two Pathfinder things to talk about. Um, th- this came out of nowhere because I didn't know that Wizards of the Coast 
like owned the word drow. I don't think they do, but they're trying, but Pathfinder is trying to cover their bases. But um, Pathfinder is retconning drow out of all of their game lore. So in, in an effort to move away from the OGL, they're dropping the drow and the drow are going to be replaced by a snake uh, species that live in the Underdark and are, um, I don't know, evil, whatever. Um, because, uh, and yeah, and I guess the drow aren't uh, always evil, but when Pathfinder first started, they were playing off of a lot of the tropes from 3rd edition. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Forgotten Realms heavily, like the drow have always been the Underdark evil race. Um, which makes me wonder, what does Pathfinder call the Underdark? Like, it must have a different word. Because that, oh, that again, would be does. to pull away from the OGL, I think, you know? But I'm forgetting what it is. I've seen it. I've, it is different. <laughs> yeah. So the word drow is an alternate of the Scottish word trow, which is an evil spirit or fairy. And that's where Gary Gygax kind of got the idea. Um, but I, I guess it's just too intrinsically tied to Dungeons and Dragons and part of the OGL. So they want to like get away from it. Uh, I, I, that's a big thing, especially when you're really focused on your lore and the, the world, the player, uh, not the player, but, um, the campaign settings that Pathfinder has created or Paizo has created for Pathfinder. Mm -hmm. And then to just be like, there are no drawer in Glorian whatsoever. Um, and it's, it's not a story change they're initiating. It's just there never has. It's retcon. So well, I don't know. What did you yeah. think and about I this? Wonder, <laughs> I wonder if it's just because the Drizzt books are popular enough that maybe it is considered some, like an IP version that they could argue and nobody wants to get into that you know, argument of drow and anybody else trying to use drow. But I would have thought they could have used like, because you have elves, which are supposed to be well, elves and lots of fantasies can be many things, right? And they're mm-hmm. usually long-living creatures that are maybe arrogant or haughty, but are typically good and are pushing back against the the excesses of the man tribes that are trying to cut everything down and use all the resources. That seems to always be like the trope of the, the elves or the human. But then there's always also that other trope you see in a lot of fantasies. Well, if you have kind of the light elves or the good elves or whatever, there's usually some type of dark elves or there's some type of evil elves or like an opposite to that. There's those mm-hmm. two opposites that kind of come together. So it makes sense that in a fantasy world, you'd want something that is considered, you know, an evil elven empire of some yeah. sort. What would you call it? And a good elven empire. And what would you call it? Cause you know, but I wonder, it's just, we always think drow of that same, you know, the same way. And um, I, I even feel like D and D is stepping back from like a lot of the drow. Oh, they are. Hardcore yeah. Canon and, and kind of, you know, homogenizing it a sum so that a drow can be anything. It's just the individual that chooses to be yeah. evil or not evil or whatever, not necessarily. The, yeah. The, the race. Races right. as evil. We have seen a yeah. huge change where it's like not, goblins aren't inherently evil. It's the choices they make and things like that, yeah. um, which is, uh, which is fine. I don't know. I remember reading an RA Salvatore book and uh, they actually brought up that thing where it's like, if all goblins grow up to be, um evil then 
is it okay to go and kill like goblin children? And this is all a hypothetical mm. in a game fantasy world, you know? And right. uh, I think Driss like brought that up and uh, Cadbury was like, this is spoilers for some book. Well, it's not even spoilers, <laughs> but they had a conversation and Cadbury like, the the goblins are evil like like they will only do evil things because it is uh 100 and he's like well what about the drow and she says well the spider queen has her fingers in the drow but like all drow can make that choice to break free it's just that hold is very very tight so in that case it would not be good to murder drow children but like um, and i was like whoa this is like kind of heavy here <laughs> bob salvatore what are we doing uh yeah, yeah. so this was in a uh and and we're moving away from that because there's lots of like you can play all kinds of of drought like the drought elf was in the phb and it's just like yeah you can just play it um but this was at the the paizo creative director james jacobs i'm not really familiar with him um but he is part of this is the move away from the ogl and it's not just the word drow but it's the 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 lore and the characteristics of traditional like AD and D and third edition Drow, which because in mm. my mind I'm like just call them like the Under Elves or the Dark Elves or the Subterranean Elves and just keep it. But uh, I think it's all of that that they just they want to they want to stand on their own two feet. Which I yeah they probably used agree. a little bit a lot from D and D in that aspect. Whereas like their goblins could be very different, their orcs could be very different. But maybe that aspect, they stayed kind of super close to what D&D is. So I could see them saying, hey, we can have any world we want. We can make anything we want. We don't have to say ours is exactly like theirs. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, we can make it whatever we want. I'm sure there's going to be some type of subterranean elven kingdom. We just don't know what that'll be. Will they just be elves and they're subterranean? Well, or will so, they yeah. So they bring that up. And thank you, Zris. Yeah. Uh, they just said that the Underdark is called the Darklands. Um, so they said okay. that uh, the Darklands is, is going to have these serpent folk, um, but there's an exception of, uh, oh, I'm going to mispronounce it, Zirnakainen, Zirnakainen, which was previously the largest city populated by the drow, but moving forward in this retcon, it's going to be a mysterious ruined city built by unknown parties. So because okay. that was so iconically drow the city will remain but it's not populated and nobody knows where it came from and it's going to have old stuff you know um so i don't know i it's it's more than just the word drow though i guess they the lore and everything else they really want to get away from it so well and i saw some other things that they were talking about that they were going to get away from like what gets replaced in the new um enhanced edition because that's where they're going to make a lot of these changes in the three the 2024 that they're releasing yeah yeah and i thought one of the things was like they're not going to have tieflings and they're not going to have asmr they're going to a different um heritage i think is what they call them again and i get all the terms mixed up because i read tons of rpgs (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then um I feel like there was something else they were doing that they were getting away from the OGL too. That was like, oh, this seems a little bit too much like that. So we're, yeah, so we're changing. That. I'm trying to find it real quick. I had it listed and I, I missed it. <laughs> well, and and it's weird because I I like that they're able to do this, um, and I I understand why they want to do this. But uh, Wizards of the Coast has also said, hey, we're not going to uh, revert the OGL like. 
And and although that's a weird empty promise that could be, you know, come to hurt you 30 years later when a new CEO of, of Hasbro wants to get gut the OGL again. Um, and everybody's like, I don't want to use it anymore. This is why Cobalt Press is doing Tales of the Valiant and all that other stuff. So I, I really understand, but it, it's just one of those things where I'm like, but guys, we won. Like, we shouldn't have to do this. Like, mm-hmm. the OGL's still there. The SRD is in pub- or Creative Commons. Like, we could still do that, right? But I guess uh, <laughs> you they want to control their own destiny, so... Um, I did find my my notes on it. So the other thing they were pulling out of it. So one they're doing is making it so it fits the orc license. The orc license would be at the beginning of those books. Yeah, they're definitely separating out all of the DM centric stuff and putting it in the DM book. All of the player centric stuff, putting it in the player book and the monster centric stuff in the monster book because it was in kind of all of those books that they had reached with the original second edition books. So that's the other thing. And then here's some big things: they alignment has been removed from what will be removed in the enhanced edition. So um, they were saying that law and chaos, you know, good and evil, that just wasn't working out the way they had it. And they had better ways to do it using anathemas and edicts, which were a better way to handle good and evil and how you chose to run your character. And then um, the other thing I saw was um, they're adding a new damage type, which is called spirit damage type. That helps with rounding out things. They're taking out the schools of magic. They they use the same schools of magic from OGL mm-hmm. for their wizards. So they are not doing that. They're replacing those with something different, and they're not going to use those. I know then Tales of the Valiant them. has been doing circles of magic. Um, yeah. But I think they're very much the same, like the circle of necromancy or something. <laughs> so. The the Leshy and the Orc will be added as ancestries right in the very first book. Nephilim will take the place of Asimar and Tieflings that to the legalities sense. with yeah. OGL. And then also Changelings is another versatile um, heritage that they're going to have. They did something with Bards, Witches, Wizards are going to be going to curriculums. Um, okay. Is how they're going to do theirs. And then... Those were the most, those were the big ones that I thought, because the big ones I thought, okay, removing alignment, changing some races around Nephilim versus Asimar and Tiefling, which makes sense to me. So those all seem pretty big. And spirit damage is a new damage type. So that that's interesting. Like I, we could have Dungeons and Dragons at some point add it because we have piercing, bludgeoning, you know, slashing, and then you have your your fires, your and psychic, necrotic, radiant. Yeah, I'm trying to think of all of them. Yeah, but we could even add even more at some point. Oh, no, you could totally oh. add more. You could make up yeah. words like, yeah, I attack <laughs> yeah. you with jujublar damage. So now they want to know what SCA you're in. Uh, somebody's asking in chat. Uh, I'm in the kingdom of the middle, middle kingdom. Middle and kingdom. Uh, I'm in the region of Pentamere, if anybody even knows what that is. So if there's SCA people in there, they'll yeah, know what that well, is. Well, there's one so far. And yes, and, and you will know that because the biggest event that we have is called Penzik, and it's between my kingdom and the East Kingdom. We come to war, and we have this in August, which is the single largest event for our whole community that's worldwide is Penzik. So lots of people know the Middle Kingdom because we're hosting that yeah. war, just like the East Gosh, is hosting that is war. Is there a documentary about, like, oh, I God, feel like yeah. there has to be, yeah. yeah. So I watched Many. a cool documentary about um, LARPing. Uh, yeah. I think it was called, like, Monster Camp. It was really cool. 
mm-hmm. and now I, I'm like, I should watch something like this because you get a real good slice of life of the people who really enjoy that. It'd be kind of fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's it. So Drow is, is gone. It doesn't mean that your old books are invalid. You could totally still use them. Um, I feel so many people will homebrew this or just replace the, the upcoming Serpent Folk with whatever they want to do. Um, mm-hmm. But it is it is interesting to talk about. Um, and on the heels of that, uh, the third and I believe final draft of the Orc license was released on Thursday. So this is the, the draft where you can go and review and things like that. Um, there's a website out for it where Paizo uh, released a bunch of information. Um, looking at the comments, it says like in the third version of the, of the axe here, you can put Creative Commons by license material into a product released under the Orc license. So I don't know. And again, I I don't know the I don't know the legal as well as I should about all of this, but with Creative Commons, it just feels really odd that we are trying to do this license. And a lot of people pointed out in a, a previous video that we talked about this is that the original OGL, like I could add things to the OGL using that license, and then you know, like Lucian could add something to the OGL. So now it's a Lucian Wizards of the Coast product. And then somebody else could come over here and be like, oh, I want to borrow that. And then now it's like a Jordan Lucian Wizards of the Coast product in a a way, like a weird collaboration. And with the OGL, you could very specifically say, you can't use this, or you Mm -hmm. can use this, but only in reference to this, um, with new people adding to it. And in that case, I do see the value of having this Axe or Orc license but it's still, um, it just feels weird. I guess maybe I'm thinking things are too small. And nowadays, it feels like I can reach out to just about any creator. Like, if if somebody made something, I feel like I can track down an email. They probably have a web page. I can be like, hey, JP Kuvert, who's the guy that I really like that makes awesome adventures and really cool drawings. I can be like, hey, I want to use uh, your adventure in this. Or I want to incorporate this city that you created in my thing could i do that oh yeah just make sure you write this you know uh so it feels weird that i i don't i don't see that we necessarily need this but i guess it's good that it's there and they're they obviously see the need of it and they want to keep it going so yeah and i did the one last note i had was that the books that they are releasing they have made they have said that you can still use any of the old edition books there's almost zero change with the things they're putting in. So it still works within the parameters and the game mechanics of what you know as of Pathfinder 2E. They're just changing a lot of the dressing and stuff around it so the stuff still fits together, which is what Dungeons & Dragons is claiming with their kind of newish edition, you know, that they've decided not to call it anything other than, you know, 5E uh, 2024 or something like that, I think is what what we've seen. all of the new rules are backwards compatible with the old rules and you can still use the old rules if you wish you can, you know, so both companies are doing that kind of same thing. Um, so interesting idea about that. Uh, I think we talked about it a little bit, but Lex has made his D and D five B and it's now released. <clears throat> and I was talking to him about it the last time um, we were offline. We were just talking, uh, but he said that, he ran a 5e game and half of the players had traditional 5e characters and the other half had 5b characters 
-hmm. And he's like, and we ran it together and it really did work because the progression system is so similar. Like you have proficiencies that go up, you have this, um, you use the same stats. Um, it's just one is a little more easier to digest, I guess, or basic. It's just five, you know, basic, mm -hmm. basic, uh, D and D. So when he told me that I was like, okay, I think I can see, um, the 2024 D and D books working with the older ones now. Like part of me was like, I mean, there might be uh, certain character classes that are more powerful, but we already have that now. Like there's all these people that do like, what's your A, B and C tier list of classes and subclasses and yeah. stuff. Like we already have things that are like, this is crap to play. This is more fun or better damage wise to play. Um, mm -hmm. But in the end, they can still adventure together. You're not, you're not trying to run a Numenera character in Dungeons and Dragons yeah, and 5e. Your initiative, like, yeah. the way you roll your initiatives completely different than the way I roll initiative. Right. Or, yeah. <laughs> so I, I see this working more than I previously anticipated. Um, mm -hmm. And I think people will want new options and it's they're going to buy new books. But uh, I like the way Sly Flourish puts it, that now we're going to have all these different versions of 5e. Do you want 2014 Wizards of the Coast 5e? Do you want 2024 Watsy 5e? Do you want uh, advanced level 5e by that other company? Do you want Tales of the Valiant 5e? And we're going to have all this stuff that can hopefully intertwine really well. Be yeah, kind of fun. I, I'm working on my version, which is going to be 5z, and it's yeah. like the advanced version. So Right, it's know. the, yeah, 5 Or maybe Zeta. 5a for advanced. <laughs> Five, yeah, because if we have 5b for basic fifth edition, right? And then we have 5e, which is fifth edition, and then yeah. I can have... 5 EA <laughs> yeah. and then somebody will come out and they'll S tier it and be like, well, I'm 5S. Yeah. So, S -S -S. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Um, Perfect. Wizards of the Coast is increasing their book prices by 20%. Um, Always a controversy. So, yeah, this was a, a lot of people were going back and forth on this. Um, ironically, enough, though, uh, to me, who's not in the publishing world as much as some of my friends, um, the they were happy that Wizards of the Coast raised their prices um, because whether we like it or not, the fact that Wizards of the Coast sells a RPG game book for $50 really does set the minimum threshold for other companies to set their prices. So if you come out like, I mean, and the only one I could think that really doesn't care sometimes is Monty Cook Games where they're like, Tolis, $120. And you're like, Oh my gosh. What I think it I think Tolis is totally worth $120, yeah. but it's I still like, it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh but the fact that a lot of other companies are like, I can't do that when they're like, oh, but I can get a Wizards of the Coast book for $50, you know? So that they're mm -hmm. they're setting the MSRP. So now the MSRP is gonna be $60 for their books. And a lot of people, a lot of my publishing friends were like, Well, no, that's good because it kind of lifts up and with inflation and stuff, it's like, ah. Uh, uh, but the the flip side of this is that you know we we look at some of the earlier books and slight whoops sorry slight furish brought up that uh the eberron book is like a smaller font has way more pages uh and he did the math and by the time we got to Spelljammer, like you're you're getting a 20 percent increase in the book but you're cutting page count by about 50 percent so it's like you're getting now less material to use 
um, and the price goes up. And that's something that I'm like, yeah, I don't really like that. I don't think every book needs to have a minimum threshold of, of page count. But I do think that I'm like, you, you advertise like a Spelljammer bundle, but like all three of those books, page count put together is half the page count of the Eberron book that you made a standalone book. And it's like, at that mm -hmm. point, you literally are charging me more just for like how cool the books look rather than the content in them. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know what I mean. I mean, well, and I, so I dug a little and okay. I found that the very next book, which this would affect is Big B Presents Glory of Giants. Yeah. Normally you would have seen it as fifty nine ninety nine. When I go to my comic book store, forty nine ninety nine. My... Yeah, yeah, forty nine. Well, I or think that's you... the Amazon price. That's not that's not the price on the back of the book. I thought Big B's will be sixty dollars, but that's because yeah, of so the twenty percent increase. Be... Yeah, yeah, the sixty nine. Originally they were fifty dollars. Yeah, yeah, but you're also getting what they're saying is the D and D Beyond version with the $69.99 price tag. Oh, really? So you get this on D&D Beyond. That's what I have am seeing. Okay. So there's a digital bundle price that comes with the physical book. Well, there you go. So I thought now, now does your value go up a little bit? Yes, we've if I can money. have it, if I can have a digital version, because I see that a lot, and although I like companies that are like, here's the, here's, it anyways, here's a PDF yeah. price, and here's a physical price, physical comes with a PDF, I'm like, that's awesome. Um, but this is their service, so if I can have it activated there, and then if I just have to buy it once, like, that's way better for me. Uh, so, yeah, yeah I, I would be fine paying an extra $10 to have the physical and digital together. Um, and I'm not even that upset about the prices going up because I'm realizing now before I was buying everything. Cause I think I was just hungry for like Dungeons and Dragons stuff, you know, like I just wanted it. Mm -hmm. And now um, I've been very picky about what I buy and I wait for reviews, which is weird. Cause like I should be the guy reviewing it, but I'm also not getting these books for free. Like a lot of the other people, like, uh, uh, yeah, Ted, Ted gets them from Wizards, and then he's Nobody flipping through them and enough. stuff. And so uh, at that point, I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so I – but I, I'm just being more picky, and I'm like, you know, I'm not going to buy Big B's when it comes out. I'm going to look and see, is this something I really need or want? Because also, Jordan personally has so many PDFs from doing all of those lore videos that I'm like, unless there's something there that I really want to use at the table – I don't know if I need it, so we'll see. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I like saving money, so a price increase is not good. But uh, like I said, it elevates the rest of a, of the industry. So we'll see. Well, if, and yeah. didn't you, you typically, when you were buying them, you were buying them on Amazon, and weren't you getting a slight discount from walking into the store anyway? Well, and Just that's the that way. yeah, that's the problem. Like I can and still, I think, here. I think Big B's is like forty dollars on Amazon. Yeah. And so it's like, well, that's that's completely doable. But the fact that it's MSRP in the friendly local game store, I think that's the big issue. Which is where Lucian buys it. Be well, <laughs> and it's not even like, like, I want to go support you guys. But now it's getting yeah. to the point where it's like, I can't support you uh, because I can just get this cheaper somewhere else, you know? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Like, and, it, and it's always been that way. But it makes it harder when it's sixty dollars, you know. Like it's like oh, I can go get the special edition cover for fifty and things like that. Like that's really cool. I'll go do that. But 
Yeah. Uh, and the original books, when it comes out 10 years ago, the first couple of books, I think they were $49.99. I don't, have we had a change in over 10 years of prices with those books? I don't no. remember them going from like $29.99 to $39.99. It feels like they've always been that price yeah. and it's been a lot of years. And now we're seeing kind of like that first increase that you've seen. I think uh, every every book they've made has been $50, except maybe Sword Coast Adventures. I want to say that that was cheaper. There was one or two that were a less price for some reason. I can't remember yeah. why. Maybe they were smaller books or... they. Well, Sword Coast, uh, uh, not Adventures, but the, the Sword Coast lore book for Forgotten Realms that came out. Yeah, it was really... It was significantly smaller. And so I think they were yes. like, oh, we'll charge you like 40 or something like that. Um, but yeah, 2014, it was all forty nine ninety five, fifty dollars $50. So yeah. they're just upping it to 60 And mm-hmm. I don't know. I am also not an economist, so I don't know about inflation and things like that. But right, yeah. Well, everything's more expensive. Everything's more expensive. <laughs> That's what I know is I pay more for everything. I went to McDonald's and it was more than than normal. I thought. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Cipher system. So, did you do the the Patreon for Money Cook Games where they were doing those the Gunslinger Cipher, the Magic Modern Magic Cipher, and then I think there was another one can't remember no the last one i did was plane breaker with them okay um, but i was watching it and i and i am a big super fan of yeah so i didn't realize but uh so it came in the mail i got Yay. this is a cypher cypher That's system 2.0 and i've been reading through this um like monty cook just makes good products good books good things like that we were talking on patreon or on uh discord about how although it feels like it's very well laid out it gets really confusing sometimes <laughs> and i and sometimes. i agree because i'm reading this and i'm like ah um there's a lot of information there's some there, flipping but, back and forth yeah but um something i didn't realize he didn't update the rules a lot but this really is cypher system second edition like this is a a revised renew version of the cypher system um, because originally Cypher was Numenera, and then they were like, oh, we could actually use these mechanics for a whole bunch of other stuff. So they made the Strange, mm-hmm. and then the Strange allowed them to be like, oh, we could actually do a lot of this. So they expanded it further mm-hmm. and further, and then you could just buy Cypher. Um, and I never bought the original game of Cypher, because I'm like, well, I have Numenera, I want to play that. But looking at this, it's crazy how flexible this is that now my brain was going everywhere like it usually does when i read tabletop rpgs and i'm like oh my gosh we could use this and i could do this i want to do like a a modern which is why i bought the modern magic but i want to do like a dresden files game and i think it would be really fun Mm -hmm. for that so um really enjoying this and a lot of things in here i feel like i could i keep referencing the book that i'm not showing but a lot of things in here um it's obviously compatible with numenera and it and you don't even have to reflavor it sometimes. You could just be like, oh no, like he has a magic uh like Numenera that allows him to have uh magnetic powers and you could play Magneto, but like we were talking about X Men games, like this would this right here, like I feel like I could play it very easily. So yeah. And they have good examples of genres. So if you want to get mm-hmm. the cipher system and you're thinking, Oh, I want to do superheroes, they have a superhero version that they put out, or they or dinosaurs and lasers, or yeah. you know, just like there's all kinds of really cool And they're worlds. all standalone games. It's not yeah. like I have to buy this book and then I have to go buy the other one. Like uh that modern magic one that I'm doing, which is like mm-hmm. Buffy the Vampire Slayer and things and Dresden, that will be a game. And I thought that was really cool. 
Um, but yeah, they they do have quote campaign campaign settings now. There's the <laughs> there's the primal dinosaur one, and superheroes, and uh, a fantasy fairy tale one. I think called like yeah. "We're All Mad Here" or something. It's very Alice in Wonderland esque. So, mm-hmm. uh, talk about source books for eons you know like if i i I just think think about forgotten realms like you could have your fantasy setting and then it's like oh but now i have these fey things like i really feel like cypher could be the next thing to do that because they already have all these books and it's like if they incorporated some kind of world that that meshed all of this together it would be kind of interesting so but maybe that's also the joy and the beauty of it is that it's not all meshed together the the game master and players do that you know put it Mm -hmm. together so I think it could be very cinematic. I, if I was a movie maker looking for IPs to go and make interesting movies, that would be you know his Numenera or any of the stuff that Monty Cook and their games are doing because he just has that very iconic, you know, kind of artistic flair to the stuff they're doing that I think would would go to like a, a TV show or a movie really well. Yeah, like a, a Numenera type movie or or you know even a strange the strange was a really cool concept and the artwork that supports it yeah. is all really cool. Did you know they made a, a Numenera video game? Yes. I, I have it. <laughs> I have it too. And I started playing yeah. it. Um, I didn't get very far. It's like an isometric kind of storytelling game, but I was like, I had no idea that they actually made like they licensed out, you know, their IP to make a mm-hmm. video game. Um, a CCRPG, I think is what they call them. Like a, Collectible the, uh, in the game? vein of like a Baldur's Gate, in, a, yeah, in yeah. the vein of uh, yeah. I always call um, them isometric because you're like looking down yeah. at your guy, kind of a thing. Um, another thing about the Cipher system is I I love Invisible Sun, but like we were talking about on Patreon, how confusing it is, and mm. but the world is so cool, and I really feel like I could use this book to tell an Invisible Sun story. Not better, but, like, more accessible, I guess, you know? Because, like, if the lore's all up in my head, but, like, the mechanics are really throwing off my players, this is just a kind of interesting way. Even though it's very similar. You roll a d10, but it's it's similar to the d20 Mm -hmm. system of Mm -hmm. that. Um, But I just wanted to say, that's out. Um, They're doing Mm -hmm. this Patreon in waves. So because this book was done, they sent it out. But there are other... uh, other things that are not done. And I think the next book is the gunslinger one. That is the companion to this, that they're going to mail out part of that Kickstarter. And then unfortunately the one I backed will be the very end. So for the modern mm-hmm. magic stuff, but yeah. Did you catch uh Candela Obscura by critical role? I watched just a couple of days ago, 10, 20, 30 minutes of the game they showed on the channel. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I wanted to see how the rules kind of played. Um, and so, yeah, I think your notes are really good, but you know what I thought was interesting too, is that I used to say, if you want to learn Dungeons and Dragons and you've never done it, what would be a good way? You're going to tell a friend, hey, how could you learn the rules? Oh, well, if you watch Critical Role and you'll see people playing it, you'll kind of get an idea of how the rules work. But then I realized no, Critical Role isn't great for learning the rules because they role play so much. They hardly roll any dice. They hardly go through any rules because it's just a lot of talking yeah. between characters. I think it's a good, It's. I think what you, I do agree. Like, I think what it's yeah. good to see what a game is like, but yeah, actually yeah. learning the game, maybe not so much. So 
Yeah. So I was like, maybe not. But so I was trying to, I thought, could I just learn this game they're playing um, as they're playing it? And I was like, well, but it sounds like it's a three stat kind of game. It definitely sounds like a storyteller, storytelling driven game. So it's a lot more in the vein of, and you put it there, um, but I think of it as powered by the apocalypse, but I think yours, you know, blades in the dark is. Yeah. So they can't see my notes, but I'm saying it's very (laughs) blades in the dark. Um, and it is, it's their system is called illuminated worlds. And one of the authors, uh, openly said early on that he was like, I'm a big fan of blades in the dark and, and reworked some of those mechanics. Uh, but you're right as well, because blades in the dark is also very much inspired by powered by the apocalypse. So a lot of these are, are things, but, but everything is, um, blades in the dark specifically is very much about heists and, we're in town, we're going to go out and do something. And then you come back and you have downtime and all of those aspects have different play mechanics, but it all involves the same uh, D sixes, a pool of D sixes. I watched the video on the author explaining how to play. And that also felt very like, I'm like, it's just a reflavor of blades in the dark. And I shouldn't say that in a negative way because a lot of things are just reflavors of stuff. Um, And I don't think John Harper is coming after them by any means, even though Mm -hmm. he's not um, credited or associated with all of this. Uh, But they very specifically are saying this is not a forged in the dark game. So after uh, John Harper and Blades in the Dark got really popular, they were like, hey, I want to use this system for other stuff. And people started saying, well, what should we call this? So they said, oh, we'll call it a forged in the dark game. Mm -hmm. Um, A prime example, I played, I went to my local game store for the first time in a while. And uh, they have an RPG night that I wasn't aware of. And so uh, some people contacted me and they're like, did you know they have this RPG night? And I'm like, I'm going to show up. So I showed up and they're like, what do you want to play? I'm like, I'll play anything. I just want to meet people. Let's say hi. And someone was running Scum and Villainy which is yeah. a forged in the dark game. Mm-hmm. And he, he put it really well. He's like, it's star Wars with the serial numbers scratched off like yeah. 100%. And we, we, we rolled characters and we played and it was a lot of fun. And you have like, you can be a mystic person who follows the way, which is a Jedi who is part of the force. And um, <laughs> you can be a robot. You can be all this other cool stuff. Uh, but Critical Role, much like uh, Paizo and stuff, they want to in-house their things. So this is not an addition to the Blades in the Dark family. This is their own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I I think the, the world is kind of cool. I didn't catch the whole episode, but I, I like that they have fun costumes. It feels very Critical Role. Like, yeah. you know, they are, they are storytellers, and this allows them to tell a story. I think that it will do very well. And I think also that... Um, I'm wondering if the Critical Role fans will really latch on because they like the stories. And uh, I'm going to say it out loud. D&D is not good for necessarily role play because it has a lot of mechanics for combat, but it doesn't have a lot of mechanics for role play. And uh, this Candela Obscura does. So when we go to Critical, when we go to Critical Role, when we go to Gen Con, Lucian, they're going to premiere the... Uh, the actual like loose leaf system that we could use. Um, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we'll have to go to their booth and I, check it out. <laughs> yeah, I saw a few, few people out there trying to say, you know, um, I think they're the believers in, well, this will be the end of Dungeons and Dragons now because Critical Role switched systems. And, and in their minds, I, I saw a lot of those too. Yeah. Of people that are in the minds of, well, Critical Role, it, 
sets the tone for wherever role playing goes. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know if it's quite like that, but I it does seem like it's a fun streamlined session game it feels like it has great potential for one shot stuff the only thing i didn't see was a lot of those games that are blade in the dark um powered by the apocalypse they don't have robust progression systems they have okay progression but nothing like going to level 20 going for five-year campaign kind of thing um, where your character is constantly getting new things through that whole thing. So I wonder if that's just, you know, it's just more of a um, maybe shorter campaigns and one shots are going to be great. I wonder if people will use it for really long campaigns. Yeah, I don't I know that uh, Scum and Villainy, because that's what I'm most familiar with now because I just play or that's what's in the back of my mind. Well, and I play Blades in the Dark, too. They do have progression, but it's it's yeah. really like you become better at the things you do. It's not mm-hmm. the same of like, oh, I'm a level four of this. Uh, so I, I agree. And I think it is designed for um, shorter campaigns. Uh, and the, the Critical Role has even said that. Like, they're very yeah. open about it. Um, but how many, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say this to you, but I was like, how many D&D games do you play that go to like level 20 or 17? <laughs> and here you're yes. going to talk about it in a little bit. So. Um, it, this is not the end of Dungeons and Dragons by any mean. Um, no. Wizards of the Coast is not scared by this game, I don't think. But in the vein of those videos, their fantasy system, which I forget the name of, they had like a code name for it, uh, Daggerheart. That one might be the one because that is a D&D clone from what we've heard. And it's a fantasy-based role-playing game. And when that's out, whether they're going to play a one shot, which I don't think they will. I think they will play a long campaign in it to really showcase the system. That is what is going to really define um, the future. But I, I think that coupled with tales of the valiant and Paizo. And I mean, I don't know. There's so many systems coming out that uh, will we get fractured like the OSR? Yeah, where absolutely. I think we've talked about this before, where like I like the mm-hmm. OSR, I like all of these different people working on all these different things, but I go and buy a game in the OSR and then I buy another game and it's like, well, really, it's the same game. This one has like some extra little features, ah, uh, you know, and and what is the ah, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but like it, we're gonna fracture D and D where. I'm not going to build a supplement for everybody. I'm going to build a supplement for this game. And I won't know that it actually is compatible with my game that I like to Mm -hmm. run. And so who knows? Well, and and I think it's, it's really easy for one system to become king of the hill when the competitors to that is probably only five or six real competitors back in the day to D and D maybe there were five or six companies that would try to push role-playing products out there, but D&D went to the top and was stayed on the top as King of the Hill. But nowadays, the amount of quality products, the number of competitors that are out there, I think it's almost impossible for any one of them to get to King of the Hill anymore because there's just so many good ones. There's so many competitors. Yeah. And the, and the, it, the community will fracture into all the ones they like. So there's, I don't know if anybody ever reaches that like they did with the Dungeons and Dragons being like 90% of the market share of, a, of the role-playing game yeah. community. I think that we're just going to have 
a much more fractured, which is great because there's just lots of people playing lots of different games with lots of different systems. And yeah, and you're right. Maybe, that at all. maybe we don't need that. Like this is, this is the holy yeah. game and we all branch <laughs> off from it, but we all know our roots kind of a thing. So, yeah. uh, but yeah. And, and I'll chat just points out too, that like D and D is already fractured. Like, and you're right. It was yeah. with third edition and fourth edition. Like everybody went their different ways. Um, mm -hmm. if, fifth edition just made it really popular again, but it didn't necessarily set a bar of like all role-playing games are like this. Like it was already fresh. Oh, I have some so. statistics for you though. I saw this. Okay. Check this out. Um, I think these are right. There was somebody had gathered him um, from some of the surveys that had went out. So 48%. Well, let's start with, I wanted to go to the, uh, the majority of current D and D players started with fifth edition, which I thought, that's an interesting thing to know that we're in the age of if you ask all the people playing Dungeons and Dragons, which edition did you start with? And the majority now are the 5e is where I started outnumber all the others. Well, and how I think, many you know, kids? 10 though? years ago, that would yeah. have been that way. But now it is. right. But how many 15 year olds are playing D&D right now? But 10 so years ago, 40, they were five and they didn't yeah. know what D&D was. So so 48 percent identify as millennials, 19 percent identified Generation X, 33% for Generation Z okay. from the surveys. Now, I don't know if that means those numbers are actually true. Well, um, no, and it's a survey. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's not an actual yeah, yeah. like uh, it's it's <laughs> I always like the idea of like, well, a survey really is um, 100% of people who like surveys who took this survey. To surveys. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, there you go. So, <laughs> so but from so, you know we'll take what we get from it. 58% of that survey say they play D&D &D on a weekly basis. I, that seems super high to me. I didn't think people were playing every week as much. You know, mm -hmm. that I always thought it was uh, every other week, you know, maybe once a month people get together, but no, young kids, they, pretty they, high. they have no sponsibilities. You just play games. Yeah. I'm envious. 60% of on the survey were hybrid players that are players who switch uh, commonly between I play online and I play at the table, which really means only 40% of players pick one or the other and don't mix. Right. So yeah. that's a nice high level of everybody's using both of the versions of, you know, ways to play the game. 60% of D and D players are male. 39% of D and D players are female. 1% identify as otherwise. Those seem like really high numbers from what we remember in the 80s and the 90s and what everybody will say portrays you know the dd &D community that seems really high 60 yeah. per, that's almost 50 50 at that point well and that's also just men who invented the that's game really are like good. men will like this game i don't think women yeah. will let's advertise to boys and so yeah, yeah. um whereas a lot, a lot of girls liked dungeons dragons back in the day it's just yeah so that's yeah. cool so that's a nice big shift so i just thought those are some interesting numbers they got them from some of the dd &D player demographics that were put out obviously off a of survey. So those are going to be, you know, based on who replies to surveys. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, a couple of Kickstarters. Uh, we've talked about Aether Nexus. Um, that is now live on Kickstarter. Uh, again, the art looks really cool. It's based on the Mecha hack, which bases on the black hack. Uh, and it's a fun thing. Um, yeah. And reading, rereading those kind of is what inspired me to start writing my Mecha goons game and working on stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And then friend of the show, AJ Pickett, has a Kickstarter out for his Silicone Battle Maps. This is the second 
Kickstarter, he's done for it. Yeah. Um, he really believes in this product. And uh, th- the cool thing about this, though, is because it's silicone, it lays flat all the time. Um, and you can machine wash it. So if it gets like super grimy and you don't want to deal with it, you can throw it in your washing machine and wash it and it, hang it dry and it's good. And and you can cook a pizza on it. Mm-hmm. He talks about that. Um, they do look really good. It's it's a reasonable price. It's like $30, $35 or something for it. Um, I'll put a link in the chat um, mm-hmm. and a link down below in the thing if you guys are interested. Uh, I just like AJ. He's really cool. And this is a product that he super believes in and has been working on for a while. So. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, I always like that, you know, that gets, gets people at the table if you have really cool things you can use. So if you have cool silicone mats and you have cool yeah. miniatures and the players like to use those things. Well, and I always think about this for travel because uh, when I was doing Adventure League or even the night I did the RPG stuff, people bring their their mats, but they're like folded and they were left in their car. And I don't know. It's yeah. like it's just hard and they're stained because of all of this. Uh it makes me wonder why we don't see more of the silicone mats like this, because it is like mm-hmm. you just throw it in the washing machine and it doesn't wrinkle and it's things like I, that. So I think if you walk around like the Gen Con show floor, you see a you handful, see like a that. dozen companies that are that are doing those products. But you're right. You don't see a lot of them in your local game store or you don't see them anywhere else that you yeah. go. So you, the only time I've seen where there's a bunch of different companies selling that kind of thing is definitely at a a convention mm-hmm. so i mean i have there's a... a group here in kalamazoo that does that they oh, it's okay. a family-owned son and and i think it's two sons and his dad started the company and they're making um playable mats and uh put together terrain stuff and it was all kind of a local thing and i they, they go to the conventions and sell it cool yeah i have a cardboard one that has dry erase on it and that's my yeah. favorite to take strictly because it doesn't wrinkle <laughs> and I could put it on like when I go mm-hmm. elsewhere and I need to take a mat because I know roll for initiative. Cause that's the one I'm talking about. Is the no, I've got, it's another one. It, I got it a long time ago, but it's cardboard and I can like fold it out kind of like a board game. Whereas if I'll go places, I'm like, Oh, my mat doesn't fit or it's hanging off the side. This at least is like mm-hmm. rigid. So, and it's smaller. That's another thing I like to do, but, um, I have not been playing many games. I played that mm-hmm. Scum and Villainy game. Um, I have been reading my Cypher system, and then I saw that Diablo 4 came out, and I was wondering if I should pick up that because my friends are telling me to. Apparently, you can play it on the Steam Deck. There's like a, a workaround to get it loaded on the Steam Deck, and I was like, well, I then... it's cross-platform. I think there's lots of places you can play it. On, well, I uh, could play it on PlayStation, yeah. But I was like, oh, if yeah. I could play it on the Steam Deck, then I could actually play it. But yeah. um, I'm also trying to play through uh, Breath of the Wild so that I can play Tears of the Kingdom. There's too many games coming out. <laughs> um, but Lucian, what did you, unless you want to talk about Exploding Dice, we can. I thought I'd let you have 10 minutes to talk about your games. Uh, that's okay, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so playing Dungeon of the Mad Mage, we had had a couple of weeks off, and then we finally played again this past week. And we had reached our level 17 characters, which is a real kind of turning point in Dungeons and Dragons, I think, um, because that's that point where cantrips are at their max level. <laughs> so so yeah. when you're casting those kinds of things, there's like a 17 is a very specific kind of threshold that a lot of abilities and class abilities come off of and things happen at that level. So it's interesting that just before we get to the 20 and the craziness, 
we've hit that threshold of 17. I so are your cantrips four dice at that point? Yeah, it's like 40 whatever your, yeah, yeah. your damage yeah. values So are. if I cast like, uh, yeah, Firebolt, yeah. it's 4d10 or something like that. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah whatever it is. So yeah, it's kind of cool. But what I have noticed, we're playing basically high-level Dungeons & Dragons. And what you'll always hear people talk about, oh, high-level Dungeons & Dragons is really hard when you look at it from the outside. What I have noticed is our game seems to still be pretty manageable. But I wonder, too, and I don't know if you've seen this, and again, our experience of playing high-level games is probably pretty limited because most people don't play high-level games. We have lots of multi-class characters, and I'm finding that my multi-class, which is a level, um, I think it's like a level 7 Arcane Archer and then a level 10 Cleric, hasn't broken the game, right? It hasn't, we haven't got to abilities that seem to break the game and the DM can't handle at that point because it's still only level 10 abilities and level 7 abilities on the same character. We don't have anybody in our group that is just like, I'm a straight level 17 this. <laughs> so I wonder if that's the only place where you would see some type of where, where people say the game kind of breaks down. What, of the characters you've built and the, the abilities and the things that you get, have you ever seen that worry of the game breaks down at that super high level? Yeah, I I mean, I haven't. It's funny because my friend uh, for his birthday wants to have he's like i want to fight a dragon like i want to do a, like a big D D game and apparently the dungeon master had bailed i was going to be a player so i made a i made my orcus death cleric and i was like yeah i'm gonna play this it's gonna be fun so but the dm had to back out and i was like well i'll, I'll run it for you and so i'm i'm actually gonna run this in a month for his birthday and i'm really excited but i have to figure out um uh, I just have to figure out like what to actually throw at these guys because they're all going to be like level 17 plus. Um, but honestly, the highest level stuff I've really ever ran was uh, Great Modron March that I'm doing now. And I don't think it's completely broken, but like uh, I, I I think it's the, the difference You're between... You're on the road the, to broken? <laughs> well, it's the difference between the optimized players and the not, you know? Yeah. And so... Uh, Lex has gone in a very specific direction relating to illusions. So in social situations, he's really good. And he has lots of tricks to do kind of interesting things. And then uh, Ted has gone in a very melee Jedi magic route. And his character just feels broken. Like he's tanking <laughs> and he's doing the most damage. And it's like, it's just ridiculous. Um and then the other ones, I'm like, they do really good damage. Like LB is is a fine rogue, but she's not she's not at the level of those other two wizards. And mm -hmm. so for me, I'm like, I wonder if it's a magic versus melee kind of thing. I don't know. Um, but there there's always gonna be tough monsters. There's always gonna be, you know, a higher CR out there. So mm -hmm. I also think you're comfortable with it because you've played these characters from level one. Or level five or something. Um, yeah. A lot of people are like, I want to do a level 21 shot. And so you get there and you're like, I don't even know what this character can do because I haven't mm -hmm. been playing it this entire time. And that is something that I think is a problem for a lot of people, uh, myself included, because you're just unfamiliar with the character. You know, like I knew yeah. everything that my Warforged fighter could do, 
but it's because I played him from level one. And so when you sit down at the table, you're like, oh, yeah, I, I like to use my bonus action for this. And I like to do that. Whereas otherwise people stand up. Oh, could we retcon this? Because I forgot to do my movement that actually yeah, lets me do this. Yeah. And so yeah. I don't know. So it has been interesting to be at a character that's this high a level. I mean, we do have the, you know, our tank has an AC of 26, which getting that high starts to get closer and closer to breaking the game. (laughs) I think once you get really high ACs. Um, Damage is damage. What does your DM think, though? Like, is he like, oh, the game's broken? Loving it all. Well, no, no, he might like it, but like, I would be curious to talk to Danimal more than you because you're like, I think the game's going really well, and he's probably like sweating behind the screen, (laughs) like, oh, can't kill these guys. (laughs) He definitely in the adventure pumps it up to match what our character output is able to do. So if he, I, he said this, and when I was talking to him, I had him on the show, um, and he couldn't run it as written. Yeah, because we would probably walk right through that. But you do start to run into lots of creatures and things that get around things your characters weren't built for or ready for. There, yeah. All of a sudden, some abilities start hitting that don't even have. If you miss your first save, that's it. They don't get saves every turn. So if you miss a critical save and then you're just stunned or whatever, and you're not getting out of that until something else happens, that can be a real hit but he's definitely well, we talked about this how frustrating at us too yeah like you were so frustrated that you were stunned and it's like i had to roll an 18 to get out of it and there's nothing else yeah. that i can do and it's like yeah. that does That's suck tough. when you're a player <laughs> uh so it's weird because you feel so powerful um because you can do all this damage but you're right uh is it fair that the dm can just shut you down like that yeah uh at yeah. level 17 like who knows like i did it to mm. my monk i like stunned or i i cast maze on him and he had to roll a charisma save to get out of it. And we calculated it that the only way he could get out is if he rolled a 19 or higher. And he was just stuck in this maze for like yeah, the entire sometimes fight. sometimes you don't roll it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. So. Um, so it is interesting. I still think it's really fun to play. I still don't think our combats, I think, last just as long as anything else. It's more about there's more things on the board for to take up the resources of our characters and to try to fracture us or splinter us by yeah. splitting us up. Because we can really, if it's just one big bad guy and it's all, you know, four of our characters, we just, we pump out so much damage. There's almost like one thing just can't stand against four characters and all their, their action economy versus yeah. the one. Yeah. But and I noticed that at like level cool. seven, like, <laughs> yeah, you're like, you can't just have the one guy that's like, I'm the giant who's, and I'm gone. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and we're the monk one has one. me stun locked. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's been pretty fun. We are on level 18 of the physical level of Dungeon of the Mad Mage. We have gone through lots of cool layers, lots of cool history. We're learning lots of cool lore. We got to go to the Tears of Saloon at one point, and we, cool. we got to see a space dock. You know, we, we have a whole spell jamming fantasy ready to go. We're back down in the dungeon, though. And... Um, it's interesting how the levels are sometimes themed and what's going on about those levels and some of the history that they put into those later levels too. So we're, we're meeting characters or heroes that you've heard about in books or were mentioned in other campaigns and maybe as a myth or whatever, but then somehow they had been down here at the dungeon, of the mad mage and they, had, something was going on with them. So that's kind of cool. So we are getting a lot of sword coast, lore stuff happening and still having fun with our characters so it's been really fun i've enjoyed it a lot so 
But we're getting closer and closer. Eventually, it'll be done and over. Oh, we did have a character die. Oh. So he he died at um, level 16. What's great about our group is we're, we love making characters. So it was not a big deal. It was like, oh, it's cool. I died in a cool way. He wrote uh, a last will and testament that got read at the beginning of the next session. <laughs> we got some cool lore going on in our Discord about you know the stuff that was going on. But he already had another character ready to go. And I was like, here's my next character, and I'm you know and just jump right in. We can do this and that. And I was like, I love that about Dungeons and Dragons in a way too. That embracing, let your character die in a cool way. Don't fight it. And sometimes we even said, don't resurrect me. Like it was just like we're going to keep going. So. I thought that was great. Oh, the siren. It's oh, time yeah. to go, Jordan. Tides first of the month. Got a siren. <laughs> no, uh, if you have to jump into the lava, make sure you put your arm up with a big thumbs up as you slowly dip down. Just die cool. Uh, yeah. No, that's great. I, I'm really curious for you to finish up that, that game because I think it'll be uh, interesting to get like the whole perspective of Dungeon of the Mad Mage from you. You should write a blog or something, a book. I survived a mad mage dungeon and all I got was well, I like book. your idea of maybe have a Danimal on at the end of it. And oh, then for sure. Us yeah. rapid firing questions at him from mine from a player's perspective, but yours like your DM perspective yeah. or just how did this happen or that happen? It was just like I think it'd be cool to have him on for a show. That would be really cool. Uh that is our show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for being here and for watching. Um I am trying to gather email addresses for a future project. If you want to be notified of subproject, uh, I think there's a link down in the description. Uh, if not, I should just put it in the chat right now. Uh, let me find the thing. But um, I started a substack, which you can go to and subscribe. And we're going to put the new episodes of the podcast on there. Um, and... Uh, so you'll at least like get the audio podcast if you don't watch it live. Um, but yeah, try to check it out um, and then subscribe to that. I'll be putting new little things there. And this is for things like, hey, I got new stuff for uh, or maybe like when Mecha, Mecha Goons is ready to be out there. I'll put it out there and stuff so people know about it. Um, it's just that's the that's the business now is collecting emails and stuff. So um, anything else before we take off, sir? No, I hope everybody has a wonderful rest of their weekend and happy summer. Yeah, uh, and happy summer. Happy June. And we'll see you guys all next week with another episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. Take care.